Coming up on today's episode of the Real Lives Podcast with Kyle Taylor. After I finished my Masters, even with all the experience I had, and I still wasn't hearing back from people for jobs, and I was like, I was bewildered by the fact, because I was adamant I'm just going to walk straight into a job, and it's not like that. So uh, why do you think you're a good fit? And I just turned around with my head lost. I went, nah, I don't think I am. Uh, I think you should probably just get someone that's better. Within a sports team, it's like you say, you're literally a small cog in a big engine. And I clicked the button and about 25 different club badges popped up on the screen. I was like, these are all the ones I applied for. I didn't get any of them. And if you get that right, like we did that year, like we ended up in the fourth qualifying round of the FA Cup. You know, a club like that, it, to be fair, in Liverpool, it's a bit of a sleeping giant. Now, just before we get into today's episode, please remember to like, subscribe and share the podcast with anyone who may be interested had some of the best weeks we've had so far so if you love the podcast even if you're interested in it just please share with someone who may be interested it'll help out massively thank you and enjoy this episode with Kyle Taylor right so Kyle just give everyone a sort of a background on yourself you know you're obviously you obviously work in sport but what exactly do you do um, so about six months ago, I um, started a new role. So obviously you'll know yourself that I started a PhD studentship uh, at University of Birmingham uh, doing sport exercise and rehabilitation sciences. And then whilst I'm doing that, I'm also an academy, uh, academy sports scientist with Liverpool Football Club working predominantly with the 18s, but then also crossing over and doing a bit with the 16s and the 15s as well. So why... Did you want to get into high-performance sport? What was it that drew you to it? So, <laughs> funny enough, actually, I'd, uh, I went into John Moore's last week and did a bit of a presentation with Connor. And okay. I, I, I went over this the same topic. So, initially, I wanted to be a PE teacher. <laughs> so, I went to do my undergrad in sports science thinking that it's going to help me be a PE teacher. And then, somehow along the way, Ended up at Wigan Warriors doing a internship in performance analysis, and I was like, "Whoa, you can get a job working in a, like a sports team. This is class." Um, and then basically from there, it led onto another thing and another thing. But like from the internship, going from performance analysis predominantly to then kind of moving along into the uh, S and C industry and sports science and performance outside of things, I was fascinated by it, and I was thinking, "What you can get paid." to spend your whole day every day working in a club and then go to games and stuff this is amazing so it kind of just fell into it I, I wouldn't say that I was um, searching for it initially when I chose to go to university or anything but as soon as I kind of fell into it at Wigan then that was from that point I kind of knew what I wanted to do so at uni it's a bit it's a bit of a weird one like especially the sports science degree because with our degree, because obviously we both went to John Moore's, it was the first year didn't count, so no one really gave it, no one gave a shit. Let's be honest. Like nah. it was a case of you you winged it. We were in six hours a week max. Mm. So at what point during that three years that we were there, we did you get that opportunity at Wigan Warriors to do the uh, performance analysis? Um, so like, just off the back end of that, like I pretty much failed first year and I thought it was impossible to do so. Like I had to go back and reset a few things in the summer to even make it into second year because I spent the majority of my time just going out. Um, but yeah, it was literally from that point I realised that, Jesus, like I've not even made it past first year and first year doesn't count, like something's got to change. Um, and two of my friends were at uh, Tramway Rovers doing an internship there and I saw that they were involved in a sports team and I was thinking probably from 
uh, not a jealousy aspect, but a bit in terms of like, oh Jesus, they're going to do something. They could get like a better job in down further down the road if they've got this on their CVs. Blah blah blah. So it was that I, me and Sam Malone kind of just started peppering emails out to like loads of different sports teams. Loads of them didn't even get back, but one of them did in terms of Wigan. Um, but it was a performance analyst role in a sport that I never even knew existed in terms of rugby league because obviously back in Wales it's just rugby union. So yeah. Um, yeah, and then basically went to the group interview. <laughs> we just absolutely blagged my way through it the night before. Uh, how many players are in a team? Uh, how would you score? Like all this absolute crazy stuff. Um, but somehow me and Sam ended up there, and then we just kind of went in once a week during our second year, like to start off with. Uh, I think it was like halfway through second year. Um, and start a third year as well um, we were there for but once a week went in filmed um, training sessions filmed games coded it up but it was just good to be around it to be fair so at Wigan Warriors you're obviously doing the performance analysis and you're in sort of the back end of it what was it that then drew you towards a sports science S&C route from there um just like, like I just say, when you'll probably know yourself when you're around that kind of environment, you're interacting with loads of different members of the MDT and you're just having conversations with nutritionists, even with the chefs in the kitchen, with the coaches, and you just kind of get an understanding of what the environment's like. So I constantly see them absolutely lifting heavy weights in the gym and at that point I was fairly like into my training myself. So as I'm walking through the gym every day, I'm thinking, oh, what are they doing over there? And then from that... I kind of got a bit more involved and a bit more involved to the point where the year after I actually went from working with the first team and the academy and the performance analysis side and dropped down to do uh, sports science S&C with the scholarships. So I was coming and saying like one time a week on a Wednesday getting the train to Wigan to like completely unpaid to then do like the 14s, 15s, 16s for like an hour each on a Wednesday evening. Um, and then just from that, I've really enjoyed it. Like just training and coaching in a gym to get other people better. I thought, oh, it's kind of addictive in that to carry it on. It's a lot of commitment in it. Like that was one thing that sort of shocked me because I'm going to be honest, during my first three years of uni, I did fucking nothing. I didn't do anything. <laughs> didn't do anything on the side. Literally just turned up to uni, got the work done yeah. and expected that the work was going to get me the job but it's not that that gets you the job. It's the time you spend outside that gets you the job. So from an aspect of, you know, you're not, you're not getting paid, you're going out off your own back. How important is it to be getting yourself in those early years into a club or into a role in general within sports team to then obviously build yourself up from there? Yeah, I think now especially like how saturated the industry is and, you know, I think... The other day, someone told me there's about 8,000 new sports scientists that graduate each year, and you think, Fucking like, hell. W- looking back, like, say it's the exact same position I was in. Okay, right. Instead of there being one or two people in a sports team that are in my same year group, that could be one or two steps ahead of me. Now there's like potentially five to 8,000 people every year. So what now is going to be the same? Because we'll have the same degree. Bear in mind, it'll be a different university and taught by different lecturers, but it'll be the same BSc, which nowadays is basically like doing a GCSE. And then you do your MSc, which nowadays is basically like doing your A-levels. So they're just minimum requirements to get to an interview, 
Whereas I feel like nowadays having that experience and having the qualifications and the education and all that background in terms of university, that's kind of just like you knock on the door, like let me in. Whereas now all that experience working at a club is what kind of gives you the platform to build on stuff within an interview. Um, and like for me, especially it was huge. Like after I finished my masters, even with all the experience I had, I did a year at Wigan Warriors as a performance analyst, year at Wigan Warriors as an S&C coach, and then two and a bit years at Tramier at that point um, as lead academy S&C and helping with the first team and stuff. And I still wasn't hearing back from people for jobs. And I was like, I was bewildered by the fact, because I was adamant I'm just going to walk straight into a job. And it's not like that. And especially now, it's only going to get worse and worse. And like it's, it's, it is mental. And in terms of like you look at any other industry, whether it be teaching or whether it be um, whatever, normally you graduate, you get a job, you're starting on 28K and it's like, okay, great starting point. Sometimes you, you get a job in sport, you're starting on 20k minimum to do a job that, you know, for example, you could be like lead academy S&C coach somewhere, you're doing the whole 9s to 16s or 9s to 18s on 20k and it's like, it's just a completely different world. I was going to ask what you th- what your thoughts are on the current state of the industry because I remember, I'm pretty sure it was during our Masters, there was an advert on LinkedIn for a role at Brighton Football Club, so Premier League side. And it was, they required a master's in a re- like relevant, so sports science or S&C, two years experience in professional sport, the UK SCA, which for those who don't know, it's like the main qualification for strength and conditioning coaches who, you know, want to work in high performance sport. And it was a zero hour contract on £13 an hour in one of the most expensive cities in the UK. Like how, on a... You know, just a, a genuine human level. What, how, like, to me, that's just not. It's not acceptable at all to be doing that. No, and like, I completely agree. Like, I'm, I'm work. I've been in the industry now. Like, even though it's been a relatively short time within a like a like a career within sport, you know, the last like four or five years have really opened my eyes in terms of looking at long term career plans. Um, and and you look at it, and it's like even at the top like you're saying at Brighton they're, they're on people with casual contracts doing sort of stuff like that it it, it is absolutely be- like mind blowing how you look at any other industry like I said before teaching um, you know teaching cooking nursing anything like you'd expect to be paid per you know you, how good you are at that job, rather than a yeah. blanket statement across the board. Um, you know, but I think on the other side of things, it it just comes down to the saturation. Like they know if one person won't take it, there'll be a young and aspiring S and C coach that'll probably be knocking on the door wanting to do that role. And it's kind of, I think, especially as you progress within your career, them types of opportunities do change. Like even now. I've gone from predominantly working in like EFL, non-league clubs, to now working in a Premier League academy. You do start seeing it change like differently in terms of like, you know, what's available. So at like an EFL academy, for example, the type of meals you get in the environment is completely different to like it would be at a Premier League club. Um, 
and like you say, it's not. It's strange because you'll speak to any SNC coach within SNC, and the majority of them will tell you, you know, it's bad. But and they'll give you like, oh, you can uh, work in sport all day. You come to work in shorts and a t-shirt. You're working in the sun all summer. You're around professional athletes. You get to go watch the games. They give you all these benefits, but at the same time, you're still having the majority of the time to work a supplementary job or do something else along the side to fulfil a wage that you probably should have been getting paid anyway but you know <laughs> it is one of them like it's going to take a lot for it to change and I think at this point in time like it sounds bad enough as it is but you just kind of get on with it um, and you take it for what it is So on that why do you do that then why do you continue to go to you know go to work in a job where you, you might be uh, underpaid you're putting in ridiculous hours because I appreciate the fact that people want to do that because it is a love of the sport and I appreciate the fact that, you know, sometimes the job that is your dream job doesn't earn a ridiculous amount of money, but for <laughs> yourself, why is it that you continue to go back and work in this environment? I think I think me especially, it comes down to fundamentally I wanted to go in and be, be a PE teacher at a school. Um, for whatever reason, it had something to do with my passion for sport and that side of things, but for actually developing people and players, like you speak to the majority of S&C coaches, they were involved at playing football at some point and were never good enough to ever actually make it. So having some small influence, especially at an academy level, of getting a 16-year-old, progressing them through being there on that journey to the point where they get a pro contract and then you know maybe they kick on and become the next big thing you've played like a one two percent part in that person's journey but even just for the like the high achiever but also the people that are struggling as well you know you, you could have some lads that you know are going through their own issues in sport and you, i always say that even though you're a sports scientist you have to also be everything else because the majority of the time you're the one person in the club with the most contact time with the lads because you're there for pre-training, you're there for the gym, you're there around the pitch session, you're there for their recovery, you're there to have any meetings with them, you're there walking in and around the changing room, setting things up. You also become a member of staff that does a bit of everything else. Um, so I, I, for, for me especially, it's at this point, I remember... I remember when I was on the back of Marine and at Tramere I was thinking academy football's not for me, I want to be in first team, I want to you know, create successful teams, I want to be high performance and my view of high performance at that point was being successful, winning trophies um, and all that. But the more time I spend in academy football I'm starting to realise at this point in time my view's completely shifted, it's getting the lads that are performing well at a youth level ready for the next step and also the lads that are really struggling at that level trying to make the journey better for them in whichever way I can. Um, so for me, that's kind of it. And, you know, at this point in my career, I'm still relatively young. You know, I'm 24. I look about 32. But, you know, a financial, like, finance side of it, like, for me, I'm still that intern that stepped into Wigan like wanting to still develop and wanting to do stuff and I guess that's kind of where the PhD element came into it as well in terms of what I'm doing now um, was you know it links completely with what my long term aim is for uh, academy football I guess as well so 
So we'll take it back. I don't want to get into the PhD side of it just yet because I kind of want to lead everything into it. So you obviously were at Wigan Warriors for a year and then you ended up at Tranmere, right? And yeah. Tranmere, what age group were you working with there? So they're a cat four. So when I got in, it was predominantly with the under 18. So they're the only age group you have a category four for anyone that doesn't know. Um, so it's just category four is under 18s, first team, nothing in between, nothing below. Um, so I was leading the under 18s whilst also being like an assistant with the first team. Mm. It's <clears throat> the cat that cat four I find quite interesting because it's a you know when teams have the under 23s, which is basically a development squad for the first team, it it allows that stepping stone like where they can kind of go in and be like, all right, this is you know, this is nearly the level where I need to be at. But when you've got kids like I was at um, Oldham for a few months and saw the setup there, and when kids have got to go from under 18s when they full not fully developed up against lads who are like 29, 30 and weigh double what they do, twice the size of them, they don't stand a fucking chance of making no. it at all. It's it's quite you can understand why kids get dropped, but also it's so harsh on them. Yeah, and I, I was having this conversation with the players at Liverpool uh, the other day, actually, in terms of, if you look at uh, an EFL club traditionally, they'll lower tier EFL, League 1, League 2, predominantly Cat 4 or Cat 3, just because the infrastructure and the type of finances that the club have, it's that's the optimum way for them to do it, and it's you know it's right for them and it works for them. Um, but at that level, it's like you're saying, there's, for a late developer you've got absolutely no chance because you're not physically in any position to go into football league and play against men. But then, because of that, there's no in-between for you. They're not going to take you on on a year pro or a third-year scholar because you're not physically able to then go out on loan either. You need... like that. That's where the argument comes in. In terms of 21's football, there's this this kind of pushing, pushing um, sway in the minute where... You know, people say it's not effectively preparing young players to play in the Premier League, for example, because it's a completely different style of football. Um, it's not as, uh, what's the word? It's not as competitive in terms of it's a development league, even though they play for a trophy and stuff. It's still very pretty football possession based, whereas, you know, you go into a football football match in the Premier League you know it could be great to play like that but as soon as someone's going to start playing counter-attacking and just hoofing out over the top it's a completely different game mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of where the argument of like the loan system and all that stuff comes in but I think going back to the Cat 4 side of things as well your main aim is to get a group of players to within the space of two years somehow make them physically developed enough to compete against men and it's never going to happen and again that's where the conversation comes in at Liverpool um, you've got a longer pathway so mm. you can sometimes get lads into the age of nine and map the whole journey across depending on what happens at each age group and you know 15, 16 some of them may be offered a scholar with an option of a pro or whatever it may be whereas at Cat 4 decisions don't get made until the last three to four no, not even that. Last one to two months, probably, of their scholarship. So you think, in terms of a psychological point, you've done your whole first year, which is basically a, like a first year at uni, I guess, where majority of them are like, wow, this is great. I'm in full-time football every day. 
you know, I'm a <coughs> professional player, even though they're not a professional player at that point, because they got the the sense of, I mean, every day I'm getting paid to be here, but they still have to do their education and stuff alongside that. For that first year, from the majority of them, it completely flies by, and you only really have about six to seven months of the second year before coaches' minds and um, like higher up st- stakeholders have already made their decision. So it's such a short time frame to try and develop a player to then be in a position to say they're ready to play first team football because it's just such a distorted goal to set. You probably experienced this when you were at Marine as well. So for those who don't understand the English footballing system, it works on a pyramid basis. So we both worked in pyramid, well, tier eight, which is like near the bottom of the the football league system in the UK. So it's non-league football, semi-professional, you know, and a lot of the lads who were at the team I was at, and I'm not sure if it was the same with you because I feel like there was a, it, you had like a sort of older age group at Marine. The A lot of the lads would have, you know, they grew up at Liverpool or, you know, Everton or somewhere like that. They grew up in these teams and they had this, you know, they had an out and out goal, like I'm going to make it. And then they get dropped from there and then they go to a, you know, a, say a Cat 3 or a Cat 4 academy. So one of the lads was telling me like, he just had everything, all his eggs in the basket of playing football for his career. And then all of a sudden they turned around to him one day and were like, yeah, we're not keeping you on. And he had like, obviously they send them to college, but it's not like a proper education where you can go, right, what am I going to go and do with this? And the lad was like, I, I didn't know what to, it was like, I had a year, two years where I just sat there and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Because his entire life was built around football and then that was it then. Yeah, like, it's sad to see as well. I think, to be fair, nowadays in terms of the education side of things in football, it has got a lot better, and I will say that, like, probably about five, six, seven years ago, you you probably would be in that position where everyone's dead set on just being a footballer. They neglect the education side of things, and they they get released and they don't know what to do. Whereas, like, now there's a lot of exit strategies. You know, you probably see the stuff that's happening at Crystal Palace and the stuff Trent's doing at Liverpool in terms of the after-academy stuff. Um, Like, aftercare in football's got a lot better, and I will say that. Um, But the education as well, whilst they're still in football, has got a lot better. You know, some of especially being at Liverpool and seeing how they do things comparative to where I've been elsewhere. You know, they've got a bigger budget. They've got a lot more staff. Um, So the, the education they can provide is a lot better. Um, but no it's true I think for especially the majority of the lads until that decision has been told to them that you're not making it especially at this club they're dead set on being a pro and fair play to them you know you're there you're there to do that Um, but I think especially just being being an element of realism as well I think that's where from having experience at football league level and non-league level and then going into a Prem club and speaking to these lads and being like, you know, if it doesn't happen, then, you know, what's, what are your other plans? And you speak to them about everything other than football as well, being in yeah. the role that you're in. It's like, like you say, you, you have to kind of be a, sometimes more of a generalist, even though you're a specialist in some aspects to um, provide like a, a framework around a lad where, you know, You'll, you'll know yourself some types of players may not have the potential to make it especially at that club but 
what can you do to give them the best chance to go in elsewhere? Uh, maybe uh, instead of it being a Premier League club, first team they're aiming for, okay, what championship clubs are local? What clubs can you do there? How would that benefit you? Um, and kind of given that aspect of it as well. It's, it is a really interesting system and like obviously the different lads develop differently and it's the like it's the same at the the highest level like some lads fit a certain system perfectly but as soon as a new manager comes in or say like a, you know someone who comes in and runs the under 16s who wants to play a certain way some lads become null and void and they don't fit and then all of a sudden they get dropped based on the fact that they don't fit that one system and it's like it's, it is so hard but you kind of have to take it all with like with a pinch of salt because it is it's brutal. Less than one percent of people who enter academies make it to be a professional footballer, and that's you know it's the sport we love and it's the sport we wanted to play as kids. And it's kind of it's the sacrifice you got to make, I suppose, if you want to make it to the highest level. That comes with that risk of there's potential that you're not going to do it, but you have oh, you have to put 110 percent in, no matter what kind of thing. Yeah, I think touching on that as well in terms of you looking at moving on from a cat four basis to a cat three, cat two, cat one, like. For the majority of teams at under 15, 16, they're very, you can have a very mixed bag of lads. You can have really early maturers that sometimes are more physically developed than some of the 18s. You can have some very late maturers that, even though they're at under 16 and about to make the jump to under 18, they've still got a body of a 14-year-old child. So it's a, it's a very weird situation to be in because you can have a lad at under 16's level at a part-time schedule that is an absolute machine and a monster and he's very early matured um, and then he goes into under 18s and does well but then you could also have a really technical lad who's really good on the ball can really move it but physically he's just not able to compete um, and that's where it's tough sometimes because if you don't have that stepping stone at 18s or at 21s them really technically gifted uh lesser developed players sometimes fall through the net um, whereas you know, like you're saying at, at, at clubs they normally see that type of talent and go we can wait until he's 22 you know we're happy to wait for that um, but uh, like lower league clubs they don't have the the like luxury of being able to do that they've got to make decisions based on one year short year because like you say you know it's very Unlikely a League One or a League Two club, you could have a manager there and a philosophy there that lasts for like three to four years. So by the time that young technical player may have been given the chance, about three or four managers could have come in and absolutely written him off by that point. So it, it is crazy, and especially at that 16 to 18 level as well. Majority of the time, they go from a part-time training schedule where they'll do two or three sessions a week or two sessions in a game a week to then jumping straight into an under-18 schedule, which is training four to five times a week and one to two games a week at a higher intensity, at a higher physicality. And that's where you just see lads break down. And I think that's where transitions in football, especially long-term, need to probably develop um, and need to get better. But yeah, it is massive. How did you find that transition from academy uh, coaching to then first-team coaching? <laughs> It's uh, it's there's similarities, but there's also like major differences in terms of like, especially at Marine, it was like you'll know yourself. It was part time, semi professional. Lads weren't on the greatest money, but you build a culture 
you're around a similar age to them, you know, there's a lot more at stake in terms of you're playing competitive football, you want promotion, um, that lads are going to play a game on a Saturday and have a beer straight after it, you know, that's <laughs> that's just their life. And it's just how you control that. And I think when I first went in there, it was a bit of a change. Like for the first like couple of weeks, I was a bit like, oh, so, I was so used to working predominantly with academy players, but very occasionally working with first team lads at Tramir. But again, they were professional. It was, mm. you know, gym, protein, shake, schedule. Whereas at Marine, it was game, bit of food, they're probably all out on the beers. <laughs> so it's yeah. how do you how do you manage that and make it successful? And to be fair, um, that's where the culture in the club and the culture within the staff and the culture within the players all need to align. And if you get that right, like we did that year, like we ended up in the fourth qualifying round of the FA Cup against Wrexham the year before they played Tottenham. You know, this year they were just close on getting playoffs on their first year back in a higher league that would have taken them to the Conference North. Like, you know, a club like that, it, to be fair, in Liverpool, it's a bit of a sleeping giant. And again, in terms of loan moves for lads, clubs like that are amazing. Like, yeah. like when I was there alone, we've seen lads from Fleetwood come in, lads from Accrington Stanley come in, uh, under 18s or 21s level, and they thrive because they're getting so much game time in competitive physical leagues. And that's, again, where the argument goes from 21s to loan systems, which is better, you know, you could go tit for tat, but just for them, you could say robust physical players. Playing in non-league or playing in, like, League 2, League 1 for a high-achieving, like, Premier League academy player or a championship player, even, like, League 1, League 2 players, it's massive. Yeah. There was a few lads, because um, the manager at Northwich, where I was at, he had a link at Salford City, so we had a few lads come in, like who were development players from Salford City. Like one of them, sixteen-year-old, he was from the area. He so he played for Northwich, got signed by Salford, and they sent him straight back out on loan to them. And like because it, at the end of the day, if he's sat in you know this under 18s there's only so much he can develop there. But when you're when he's up against lads who are thirty-four to you know thirty, like the double his age, if not more, like the the you know the potential there is like far and beyond what he's going to achieve just in the under eighteen squad. Yeah, and it's so all about timing, I guess, as well, and the right time for them, and the right time along their journey. Because if they go out too early, I think from a psychological point, they think they've made it as well to an extent. You know, they they still need that kind of grounding of under 18s football and get to kind of know what it's like. But you know, towards the end of their second year, scholar Swindon did it really well when I was at Swindon. After Christmas, the majority of the second years were out on loan at loads of non-league places, just getting experience of playing competitive football. And at that point, the transition where the 16s then came up to play with this, uh, the rest of the first-year scholars to make a new like 17s hybrid under-18 squad to nurture that transition, which I found really beneficial because a load of the second-year lads were getting smashed about on a Saturday at non-league football, realising... We can't always play nice possession-based football. Sometimes you're going to have to really rat after it and get after it. You know, and you could probably speak to them lads now and they'd really appreciate it. Like Harrison Minter, for example, is one example of a lad that's been at the academy his whole life. 
when I first came in, he was like teetering on training with the first team and being around the first team. And then he was in and out, managers changed, goes out on loan, does really well on loan, gets brought back in, does well in one of the FA Cup games, gets put back out on loan, comes back in, he's in and out the team. And now he's absolutely flying. So it just shows you the road the, the, the road and the journey isn't always the same for each player. And it's not always the same for each member of staff. You know, I could have done five or six years as an intern and still not got a job. Whereas someone yeah. could have worked with someone on a certain research project, for example, they've known someone, put a word in, they've just got a job. It's completely mm. different and there's no right or wrong way to do it as a player or as a member of staff, but you know, each journey is different. So why did you, alongside working at Tranmere uh, within the academy, why did you then take on that role at Marine alongside it? Because that's a fucking lot of work <laughs> for one lad. <laughs> Especially yeah, to, during a master, like a full-time masters as well. Like, yeah. To, to be fair, looking back, I was I think I was a bit crazy because I'd set up my own online personal training and online coaching performance-based business. I was doing my master's degree. I did the senior internship at John Moores. I was at Tramere as an intern. Then I was at Marine initially as an intern, then part-time. And then for a brief three weeks, I somehow came up with the idea that I was going to do a podcast as well. And to be fair to you, at least you've kept yours up. I did three and then had to pack it in. Um, but going back to it, I think for me, it was just about trying to grow as a practitioner, um, getting it as most experienced as I could. An element to it as well, Marine was a part-time role. I was getting paid there. Where at Tramere, I was still getting paid like expenses. I was still deemed as an intern, even though I was predominantly full-time. Um and like I said, in terms of going and doing internships at places is hard because there's that financial aspect of it where you're not getting paid to be there, but you want to treat it as if it's a job. And that's very much the way I went about it. I made sure that I could do everything I could financially to go into a role and make it feel like a job to get the most I could out of it. So that when I went to apply for other jobs, I could speak about my experiences in that role as if I was not employed there and spin it like I was employed there. I'd obviously say I was an intern, but then treat it like I was, a, you know, I was doing this, I did this, I implemented this and have that experience of doing that. Um, and at Marine as well, it gave me first team experience. It gave me experience being around and trying to coach older players. You know, I was 22, 23, yeah, 21, 22 at the time. So then going in there and trying to coach a load of semi-professional lads, like we had a lad there called James Barrigan, who was a bin man, uh, and, and we, we'd literally play, we played Workington away, which is about a three-hour journey, for those who don't know, three-hour journey that you travel on the day because they're semi-pro. Travelled down three hours, played a game, went to a draw, came back, he went to work at five, so I think the game was a quarter to eight kickoff. we must have got back at two, he must have had about two-hour nap, Went to work at five, played him again on the Tuesday away, did the same thing, played him away on the Saturday and luckily he had a day off. But, you know, it's understanding that, you know, there's lads that are going to turn up late for training or lads that are going to be fatigued. And it makes you try and figure out and problem solve as well. You know, we had, we at the time I went in, we did have GPS there and it was, it was great. It gives you context. It's a, it's a wearable, it's a measurable bit of data that you can collect. But at the same time, 
you know, so-and-so who's just done four shifts bricklaying and then comes to training, are you really going to want to push him? So then it's then problem solving and creating relationships with the coaches to go, you know, Gaffer, like, he's had a long day at work today. You know, we can push him, but if we push him too much over the next three weeks, he might break down and he's one of our most important players. So let's just ease off him a bit in this session. Um, likewise at games, you know, you've got lads that are got, were doing a full shift in the morning or in the afternoon or in the day. And then going straight to a game, probably under fueled on a meal deal. So it's what can you, you do at the club to then aid them as well. So you know, we we instead of set, setting up a, a supplement uh, partnership, we went to Costco and got SIS gels, Haribo's, hydration tablets. That way, like you know, it's it's a completely different world to what it's like at a professional footballing academy. But you'll know yourself. You get so hands on. And you get so immersed within the club. And likewise for them, they're probably happy that they've got someone in coming to do that to help them as well. Because especially at that level, injury is probably the one of the worst things. You know, you're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday for the majority of the season because you've got so many games to fulfil. But lads are occasionally playing 90 minutes every game for like six, seven weeks, then break down, then they're out for a majority of the season. And it's hard to see. It's funny because like in... You know, that level, I think it, yeah, that season that we were both working in that league, we had Kendall in, in Kendall Town, fucking three and a half, four hours away. And I remember we played him on a Tuesday night. So some of the lads didn't get in at it until probably two. Like, I was the lucky one who I couldn't go at the time. Yeah. Two, three in the morning they were getting in, then they're going to work at six. Like, yeah. and then, you know, Thursday, the like, our, our managers were good. Like, they would be like, look, Thursday, don't no training don't you don't need to be here so they were quite good like that when like they knew when to just say no and when to stop even if it was a big game coming up at the weekend they'd be like look thursday you, you're overworked at that point but it's something that people don't appreciate is that like these lads work fucking 10 times harder than the lads at the you know in the premier league because they're doing a nine to five or you know six till four mm-hmm. and then they're leaving the job driving an hour and a half to training if you know like some of the lads who played at northwich lived in on the other side of manchester so driving an hour and a bit to training and then back getting in at gone midnight most nights to then go to work in the morning and it's like how like it is near impossible to manage it isn't it yeah and i think especially is it from like a development point from staff and from like a coaches and a practitioner's element as well like one of the main things i learned from there is how to create them relationships and how to speak to staff because there are certain aspects where I'd go oh, you know Gaffer I think he needs a bit of rest this week and he'd just turn around and basically tell me to F off and he goes nah like, he's, he's playing we need him we need to win this game and it's like okay like fair enough like if that's <laughs> that's how it is and you're not always going to win the battles and I think being able to have that conflict as well and that solution to the conflict in a reasonable okay alright or can we pull if he is going to play on Saturday can we just pull his load down in training a bit or you'd meet in the middle whereas I think it's not just in football now in society nowadays you can't have disagreements and you can't have conflict and you can't have these discussions without people taking personal offence whereas in elite sport because tensions are so high and everyone's so passionate about what they do you're going to have it all the time and it's not personal. It majority of the time it is just for the best of a player or for the best of the team or the best of whatever it may be. But being being able to 
not swallow your pride because especially when you probably thought likewise when I when you dropped down to non-league you probably think oh fucking hell non-league like this you know I'd rather be working at like a Liverpool or in Everton or something and you know they look class on the CV like here they're probably not going to have anything and they're all going to be crap you get there majority of them are lads that have just dropped out of football league that have been at like a 21s or a first team somewhere else and they just want to play so they're yeah. already bought into what you want to do and it's just you kind of make it your own little baby like you have the the standpoint to create a department to put things in place to make mistakes whereas at a higher level you don't really have that have that luxury to mess up i was going to say like the the one thing i would i used to say was like as much as you want to work at your liverpools your evertons your uniteds whatever you go in there and you don't have any control of anything that goes on. If you drop down to non-league, guaranteed you're going to get a lot of control of a lot of things within a club. But for me, like, you know how you were saying, like, there's you, sometimes you'd have a bit of conflict with people. And that's probably my biggest regret within when working within sport was I was too quiet. And you have to be loud when you work. You do have to be so loud when you're working in sport. And for me, I'm, I'm a very introverted person. And I at times I find it very hard to put out there my opinion like me you know if the, if the gaffer asked me i'd be like yeah i think this but i wouldn't i would be very shy to just bring it up on a whim and that's probably the one thing i do regret because i think if i'd actually push myself to go like look this needs to happen or this lad needs to sit out then i probably would have enjoyed it more than what i did which is now why i don't like i'm not i don't work yeah. in sport anymore i work in research so it's like you know for for you I feel like you've always had like a bit of a louder personality. So did you find it pretty like pretty easy to just sort of go in and be like, "Look, this is what I think. This is what we need to do." To to an extent, like I, I think yeah, like you're saying, it's it's like per, like it's the type of person you are, isn't it? I guess that makes you adapt to certain situations or do things differently or whatever it may be. For me, obviously, I'm. I'm quite an extroverted person and I'm quite bubbling quite loud but at the same time you have to do it with best intentions you can't just go in and start demanding things you have to have rationale and you have to have reason behind it and you have to have that relationship with the players and the staff <clears throat> so that you don't lose them because at the same time I could go in all bubbly and be really loud and say alright I've come from this university and I'm doing this and this the moment you do that you've lost the relationship with the staff because they go right we're not fucking listening to him because he's just tried bossing us about who he think he is and then you do it to the players what we're doing this why we've never done this before didn't do this at this club didn't do this at this club you know whereas I think as well subs like with lads that aren't playing that was another another like point Having them try and run after they've just watched their team play 90 minutes and either win or lose, it's an absolute hassle to try and make them turn around and go, oh, lads, we're running now. But if you have a good relationship with them and you go, right, lads, we're going to get these top-up runs in because of this, this and this. We need to make sure your hamstrings are intact. We need to keep you fresh. We need to make sure that when Gaffer calls upon you that you're good enough to then stay in the team. Whereas... The way you word it, you go, right, lads, we're running. You haven't got a choice about it. Let's do it. You're doing this. You're doing this. They just stand off at you and be like, nah, I'm not listening to you, mate. But if you word it in a way where it's like for their benefit and you're looking after them and the team on a collective, you know, you, 
you're buying in and they're buying into what you want to do. Um, but yeah, I think again with everyone, the situations where you can be an extrovert, but also be an introvert at the same time. Like I've been in situations where I've been in meetings with in university and you've probably been in them yourself where you were on placement and you go in to see your placement supervisor and you sat there and they're speaking about this, this and this. And you're just nodding and you smile and wave. You're like, yep, yep, yep. You walk out and you're like, what on earth has he just said to me there? Like, it happened to me when I was at Wigan. You know, I'd just done two years at Wigan and a year at Tramere. And I was, uh, I had Dr. Carl Langan Evans as my supervisor. And I've gone in and we're speaking. And he goes, oh, so uh, what have you learned? I was like, oh, you know, I was, uh, I've been spotting today. You know, I was helping with back squat. And he goes, oh, okay, what, what type of back squat were they doing? High bar, low bar? I was like, yeah, yeah, back squat. Um, yeah, I think it was high bar. Um, and he was proper, he was just like, he wasn't even grilling me. It was just stuff that I should have known. He's but very was, good at that though, isn't he? Like, yeah. he's very good at picking at things just to put you on the spot and then make you feel like you're under pressure. You need it though. Otherwise, you, mm. you, you it's like with footballers, they get, a, they get a false sense of where they actually are. Like with me, because I was doing all these internships, I was thinking, I'm flying in, I'm class, I'm, I'm a practitioner, me. And then he's like, oh, what were you looking for in the squat pattern? Um, um, I, I, I couldn't tell him. And I walked out that room thinking, wow, like, I need to really, like, brush up on what I'm doing here. And again, like, MSC, did you, did you do the internship with the MSC? I was at Ealing. I was at Ealing Rugby Club, yeah. yeah. I moved down to London for mine. So I did the... The um, so the S and C internship with Conaheny and Steve McQuillan and all that. Yeah. So I did, I did that. that. Yeah. yeah. What was your interview like? Oh, mate, <laughs> I fucking just got rinsed. Yeah. Absolutely. I came out. I remember coming out because that was before that. I hadn't done an interview other than for yeah. Tesco. Like I just worked, you know, part time jobs. What I did. <laughs> and I went into that interview feeling like, oh, you know, a bit nervous, but I think I'll be all right. Walked out of that. And Abby was, Abby was in, and she was like, how'd it go? I was like, I just fucking melted. I just like, absolutely melted on the spot. Like, yeah. had no idea what to say. Didn't even know what my name was. Like, I just felt like I'd just lost it at that point. It was crazy. Yeah, like, I, I remember mine vividly. Like, I, spot, I went in, like I said, I went into the internship last week and basically did a presentation on it all. And I was like, um, who remembers it? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, I remember mine pulled up the my cover letter and I said if you ever want to go into an interview on a worse start don't spell the interviewee's name wrong four times in the opening four lines and pulled it up and literally it's it's literally stuff like that like small impressions he straight away he goes by my name by the way my name's spelt Connor with one n not two you spelt it wrong four <laughs> times in the first four lines and I was like great start and from there, I was just crumbling and crumbling. And at the end, he goes, I still remember it now. It was him, Carl, and Josh Bridge in the call. And he goes, so uh, why do you think you're a good fit? And I just turned around with my head lost. I went, nah, I don't think I am. Uh, I think you should probably <laughs> just get someone that's better. And at that point, they stepped in and went, why on earth have you just said that? Like, it's not gone as bad as you thought it has. But because my head was just gone at the time. Mm. I was just so off the cuff. I was like, no, nah, I think you should get someone better. Like, I don't think it was good. Um, somehow managed to black my way onto it. But like, 
looking back on it now, it was absolute chaos. And you'll know yourself, no interview you've ever been in since has been anything like that. But that yeah. just prepares you for the worst case scenario. Hmm. Yeah, the, I, the one thing I did think at the time, though, I was like, thank God. Like, it would have benefited me if it was in person because obviously yeah. at the time it was during COVID, so everyone yeah. was online. And we did it on on Zoom. And I was like, if that was in person, I think I would have just burst out crying or something, yeah. like, genuinely. It just was just, away. it was, yeah, there was just so much, like, it was so good what they were doing, though, in, like, preparing you for what it can, because within sport, that's how it has to be, because, like mm. you said, there's 8,000 graduates a year. They've got to make, you've got to stand out somehow, and yeah. if you can go into a meeting like that, and, you know, you can answer the questions confidently, and you can apply things to whatever questions they have, they're probably going to think, Bloody hell, yeah, he probably is going to be a good fit. Yeah, and I, like even that, the mistakes I made on that interview has stuck with me ever since. Like I've made sure I've spelled everyone's name correctly when I've applied for a role. I made sure my grammar's in the right place. I've made sure I've not. Like at one point, I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm starting my NSCA, um, CSCS," and he was like, oh, "Okay, what's your uh, what's your um, ID number?" I was like. Oh. It's like you've got me here. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm about to start. He was like, but you've said you already started it. I was like, oh, okay. So it's one. It's literally one of them. Like, do you, you take away from it at the time you look on it and think, Jesus Christ, I hate all of you in here right now. And then you walk away from it and you think, oh, I needed that at that point in time. The thing is with that as well, like the the internship we did and everything like that. I thought that was really well run in terms of it did just provide us with all the basics that we needed because I feel like. This is this is probably going for most degrees, like sports science degree and the master's degree. Without that practical application, is absolutely useless. Like there is no point in doing it if you don't do anything practical with it. Yeah. Like my first three years at uni, I'll, like I like I said, I didn't do anything other than there was in it when we had to do the there was a module where you could pick where you got like an internship, and I did <laughs> that. But then COVID hit, so it stopped. That was the only thing I really did. And I was like, I actually, I need to start booking my ideas up, which is why during the Masters I started doing more things. But it was just like that, like if, you, if you're not going, you know, when they offer labs and stuff like that, that's the one thing I think back on. I'm like, if the labs that they had on offer, you know, the different testing sessions you could go to, just mm -hmm. speak to people, go and do all of it. Like yeah. there's so much you can do, make the most of it, because otherwise you come out with three years and it's useless. There's yeah. no point in it. No, definitely. And I think, like you say, if you see yourself wanting to go in and work in an elite sport or any sports setting or any coaching setting, you do, you, you seriously need to get some sort of applied experience coaching and putting some of that theory into practice because again you can come into a situation where you're telling the gaffer something okay you know this test in this test is perfect you know if they they get less than x percent on this then you know we're gonna have to pull them and he'll just tell you to fuck off like nah we've got champions league to play for we've got uh promotion to play for he needs to play and you're like oh, okay and at that point, you've got no conflict resolution or experience or anything, or you've got no way to go to the government and go, okay, um, blah, 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 this, this, and this. This is how I would suggest it. Because at the end of the day, is within a sports team, it's like you say, you're literally a small cog in a big engine. And at the end of the day, the only opinion who goes is really the gaffers. You know, like at first team, not at academy level, it's a lot different because it's about 
developing players. You know, if you've got lad that's really struggling and can only play one game a week, then he can only play one game a week. Or he can do only one day in, one day out, one day in, because you're protecting him for the long term. Where a first-team environment is completely different and it's like you're playing for performance. You know, you could get relegated, you could lose your job. You know, you could get promoted and get a massive pay rise. Or from that promotion, you could end up going to another team. You know, it's... But the flip side as well, I think you can probably speak for this yourself in terms of if you deep down don't see yourself going down that path, don't force yourself into it as well. Like I think for you, you've always been really good at the research side of things. Like I remember when we were doing our assignments and stuff, I'd always be pestering you, going, "Oh mate, like what have you done for this? Because my head's absolutely gone here." And you just be like, "Yeah, this, 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 this," and I'll be like, "Wow, he's so like he's so intelligent." But then we could be in a practical, and I'll be like just talking through like clean patterns or whatever and you'd be like oh picking my brain and I think it's just like two different environments you're in you, you sometimes you suit it to one more than the other that's it yeah like you've you've gone down the one that re- like it really does suit you like that high performance sport you know like it's a high pressure environment that really suits you whereas like for me I feel like the the research setting suits me it suits me better because it's more it, it's it's so different like it's it's probably as political as high performance yeah. sport. Don't get me wrong, but there's just different aspects to it in terms of like it's more back end stuff. Like you know we've got to put this project together. What are we going to do? Like one of our problems that we were having was so for our one of our performance parameters was dynamic strength. So we were using uh, isokinetic dynamometry as an assessment of knee extension and flexion torque. Hated it. Absolutely hated it because. The assess like when you're working with general population, it's one of the worst measures you can use because as much as you say, oh yeah, give us a maximal, you know, extension, maximal flexion, mm-hmm. you're not going to get it. Never no. are. So then, it, for me, it was like, right, I've got a bit of a time limit here because we've already started that. We now need to move on to something else. So then it was like, right, uh, isometric mid thigh pull, perfect for you know when you're sort of trying to correlate with performance sport. That's the one we want to go for. What pairs well with that counter movement jump do it in half the time I was doing that in and it's like trying to do all the logistics mm-hmm. like that I'd, to, to me that suits me whereas for you I feel like you're really good at like oh well this this lad you know he's analysing situations like this lad's been bricklaying for nine hours and now he's, <laughs> now he's come here and you know what's he got on tomorrow and actually maybe it's probably not best that we push him tonight because he's got this this and this like you really do suit that well yeah and I think I think for me as well I'm a very I'm I'm not just interested in the job, I'm interested in the people in that job and it gives me context around certain situations as well. Like, you know, I'm a very social, outgoing person and within a team environment, it works really well for me because I can just go around and create them relationships with the players and then from them relationships, it gives me the buy-in for when I want to implement stuff. They're a bit more open to it. Like, one example at Swindon, um, you know, I've gone in... Um, at that time they come on the back end of Covid you know, the club had just gone through a new takeover there was a lot of um, transition within the club but because I'd been working with the first team over at Tramir and doing the academy stuff at Tramir they had a bit of respect for me go, oh what was that like oh you were at Marine Did they play, weren't they the team that played Tottenham were you there then I was like no no I wish I was but I wasn't and it's like you start creating a bit of common ground with them lads and then once you do that 
you know, there's always going to be times where you have disagreements and stuff, but if you've got the underlying relationship to be able to resolve situations and do things in the right way and do things for the best of that player, you know, then I, I think personally you're always going to do well. Obviously, you you were working at Tranmere, but you so you were working within that sort of vicinity of where you're comfortable. You know, you're you're from North Wales, aren't you? So like yeah. close to home. You know, you you're based in Liverpool, working at Marine and Tranmere, which are both within the vicinity of the city. Yeah. And then you took a job at Swindon Town, which is like yeah. is it four hours down south? Yeah. Very far away from everything that was going on. So, how was that transition then of like moving away from family and dealing with all that? Um, yeah, to start it was tough because obviously me and my girlfriend live in Liverpool, um, so we still kept our flat there, and then I'd leave at about quarter to five in the morning on a Monday, drive up to Swindon, stay there the whole week, and then drive back on a Saturday. So within a week, I'd do about four or five hundred miles of commuting, eight-hour round trip. But Jesus, when the job came up. The money, don't get me wrong, the money wasn't groundbreaking or anything, but the thing that stood out to me was I would be head of the department um, uh, across a big age span from nines all the way up to 18s, and I'd still be bridging the gap and working with some of the 21 players. I say the 21 players, they didn't have a 21s, but it'd be lads that are on like their first or second year pro that you know weren't getting into the team or either going out on loan or dropping down to play with us. Um, and I think for me it was, again, career development like I know when I finished my masters I kind of had a rough outline of what I wanted to do in the next three to four years you know I wanted to experience with different age groups because at that point I'd only really worked with first team in 18s and a bit with the 14s and stuff at uh, Wigan so I wanted to make sure I had experience with different age groups so I did sessions with the nines I did sessions with the 15s 14s throughout the whole academy uh, organisational and structure of actually putting together a framework of what our long-term athletic development was for that academy um, putting certain things in place to link with the first team you know same testing method same warm-up still creating that relationship creating a culture within the squad because at the time it's quite fragmented in terms of you know you've got lads that didn't want to be there you've got lads that wanted to be there you've got lads that were really good you've got lads that you know, probably weren't the best technically in terms of they didn't want to be there, like they didn't want to be a footballer, they just somehow like found their way into it. Um, but like, long story short, it was development for me, like getting that experience of leading a department and heading a department, um, recruitment. Like, we recruited a lad on a studentship from Loughborough called James, who was absolutely amazing on my time there. You know, he came in, he, it was his first role. So being a kind of mentor to him and like, oh, this is what I've done. These are some of the mistakes I made, but then giving him a platform to do, make the mistakes himself as well. So I remember like the second week he was there, I went to IB for on a stag do because it was already booked before I got the job. So then for a, like half of the week, he had to lead in his like mm. second week of ever being in a role. I came hey. back, I was like, how was it? And he was like... <laughs> But Insane. from that, he learned so much. Um, mm. So, again, if I had to break it down, head in the department, it was uh, mentoring like, interns and students and kind of just taking that next step. It was my first official full-time role in sport. Whereas everything I'd done was kind of like part-time or like an internship or placement or whatever. Whereas this is my first official full-time. Again, it was, it was tough, though, you know, 
like I said, moving, commuting four hours on a Monday, four hours on a Saturday, um, moving away, living in a flat in Swindon, not really knowing anyone down there until I worked. Like the only people I knew were people I worked with. Um, but the, again, I was there for ten months, and I still speak to a lot of the people there now. Like I'm still going up there in a few weeks' time to um, see some of the staff. Like, and you create them relationships, and they stick with you. And one of the only reasons I got the job was because of Carl. <laughs> like, I I applied. The head of sports science at the time was one of the people Carl had worked with at um, UFC for the combat stuff. So he's obviously put a word in. I didn't know it at the time until I got the job and I was in there. So like, oh, I was speaking to um, Carl the other day. I was like, Carl, oh, what, Dr. Carl Langan Evans? And he was like, yeah, I was working with him at UFC. He put a good word in for you. And straight away, I messaged him. I was like, oh, I really appreciate that. And he was like, look, you know, I wouldn't have put a word in if I didn't think you were a good fit for the role. So, again, I go back creating relationships with people, good impressions, because you never know down the line where someone's going to put a good word in for you for a role or whatever it may be as well. So just to go back a, a bit, you said there that like you went into Swindon and it was a bit of like a fragmented culture and what have you. So how do you then go in as you know as a twenty four year old and build a cult like a positive culture within a club because it it is hard to do like because you know the staff there that will be older than you. No. There's, the players are a lot younger than you, but they see you as like this, you know, younger adult. So they don't really. It's like you're in that weird stage where people look at you a bit differently, and you don't really get the respect or as quick as others would. So how did you build the culture? Um, uh, like for me, like you probably know, I just graft. So I would be there from about seven in the morning with the 18s till about half eight, half nine at night with the under nines. Like I. I'd do the whole stint with every age group and I think by showing my face around every age group and showing how much I wanted to restructure the performance side of things was refreshing to not just the players but to the staff and to the parents as well because at academy level one thing that goes unmissed is you have to have good not great relationships with parents but you need to be able to have like good relationships with them to the fact where you can if you see them you can have chats with them. You know, we uh, I think in one week when we were doing all the inductions for this season that has just come, um, we had an induction from nines all the way up to 18s where we were taking parents' heights, having chats with them, then we were taking their players' heights and we, we'd have all these interactive days and I think because it's such a community in Swindon, it's a small town with like a massive, massive fan base for the club. Um, it, it was good. It was class. And in terms of that, building them relationships like you're saying from the hard work that I was kind of displaying I think players bought into what I was doing a lot more and respected it and obviously with previous experience and you know when you get chance and oh you were at first team you were in the playoff semi-final last year it was like uh, they buy into it a lot more um, but it is tough because at the same time they see you as this young adult and they they think oh if I was like a year or two older I'd probably be his mate and you have to sometime break that stigma sometimes you know yeah you can you can be friendly with them you can be quite upbeat with them sometimes you have to be really firm with them and it's like how you manage that at times and again another thing for me it's a learning curve you know how how do you display a different personality from an under 18 squad to an under 9 squad 
where they're going to just be absolute chaos. They're going to be running around. They're going to be kicking balls at you. How do you be really engaging with that different clientele doing um, duck, duck, goose and British bulldogs and like head tennis to an under 18 squad where it's like, lads, we need to focus. We've got FA Youth Cup on Wednesday. Like, we need to zone in here. Um, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, it's just managing that different type. So, I think you mould your personality within the group to the group that you're with. Mm. So then, from Swindon, because you, were, you weren't there longer than a year, were you? No, it was 10 months. So I got there in February 22 and I left in like October or November. Yeah. So where did the opportunity then come around to do this hybrid PhD where, you know, you at University of Birmingham and also Liverpool Football Club? Um, so going back, like again, like I said, it was about like making sure you got good relationships. So I actually applied for an under fifteen, uh, under fourteens role at Liverpool before the Swindon role. When in, her, I think I applied for it in like December twenty twenty one. Didn't hear back until about Feb twenty two or something like that. No, December twenty twenty, and I didn't hear back until late twenty twenty one. So it was like a good two years had passed away. I got an email saying, um, "Oh, would you? I saw you applied. The position was filled, uh, but it's reopened again. Like, would you want to come in for an interview?" And I was like, "Whoa! Like they've they've actually contacted me directly to wanting to go in for this interview at Liverpool Football Club." Um, but again, at the time, I think. I didn't have much experience with the 14s age group. Um, I was predominantly 18s and 21s first team, so I wasn't the best fit for the role. And I think I knew that going in, but to turn down the opportunity to go in and try and give it my best shot would be stupid. But I think uh, subconsciously from there, knowing I didn't get that role was what made me then also want to take the Swindon job and go, all right, well, I'm going to make sure I do everything I can with all them younger age groups that I've not worked with to get all that experience in the, my back pocket so if anything comes around again, I could be ready for it, which is inevitably what happened, where I've applied, got offered an interview, I sat down for the interview, and his opening question was, um, what have you learned since the last time we spoke, which must have been about two years ago. And I've sat there, and in the back of my... Do you know you're thinking back to that interview we did with like Connor and Carl and all that and you're thinking I'm about to get grilled and it was quite refreshing to be like what have you like like learnt since we've gone away and spoke last and so yeah that that came around and it was quite refreshing to like speak about what I've done and what had changed I think he'd realised like how much I've gone away and learnt since the last time we spoke and then yeah from there went in did a practical interview um it's quite strange because Jay Spearing, who was one of the first team players at Tramir when I was there, was now an under-18s coach with the team that I was going to potentially work with. So I was there in the interview taking the team that he works with. It was just weird. I think it's just one of them, like, Joe, everything just comes full circle. Um, and then, yeah, I think I did really well um, and then got offered the job. So I think I took, literally as soon as I got offered, I was like, yep, yeah, but like, didn't even think about it. He's like, do you, want, do you want to know anything about it? I was like, no, yep, it's, it's Liverpool. <laughs> PhD, yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> hmm. So the PhD, obviously, you were telling me before we started this that you're still trying to figure out what the project is, so to speak. So what <clears throat> sort of areas are you trying to look into with that? Because obviously it's a, four, it's a three and a half, four-year project, isn't it? So Yeah. Um, so like when I initially started with... Uh, 
uh, Professor Drost, like Barry Drost, I, it was a strange one because I, every time we'd done a research project at university, it was like, this is the topic, go away and do the report or go away and do the project. <clears throat> the master's thesis was a bit different in terms of we were on an applied case, like we were in an applied setting doing a case study within that setting. Uh, at that point, it, it was GPS stuff. So for the stuff that I did at Tramir, we were looking at effective tactical formation on positional specific match demands in Football League. So we basically looked at two years' worth of GPS data that had been taken from League 1 and League 2, looked at a 4-2-3-1 and a 4-4-2 diamond. So three different formations and basically looked at what different match outputs were put from different positions based on formation. That was it. So over the two years, we saw a bit of significance. But from there, I actually went to Catapult and presented that data because Catapult were one of the stakeholders in the club at the minute that we're using for GPS. So went in. It was nerve-wracking, to be fair, because even though I'm quite, um, quite an extroverted person, I'm absolutely awful at public speaking. So I've gone into this room where there are probably about 20 or 30 people, so not too bad. And I've turned to my left and there's a TV and it's got the Australian headquarters with every, everyone from Catapult sat in the conference Jeez. room watching the presentation. I'm like, oh, God. But it was like, again, I think that's where my little passion for research and merging the research with the applied practice started was with that project. Um, and then along the line, I presented a similar thing to uh, University of Birmingham again were with West Brom in an interview which got down to last stage but was unsuccessful so when this came up and I got offered it I was like oh great like finally get a chance to do that project and it came around to it and the project was just never going to work in Liverpool mm. you know you look at Liverpool Football Club they only really play 4-3-3 so doing yeah. that on a large scale across the academy wasn't going to work so kind of ripped that idea up threw it away um, and spent a few months just settling into the club, just seeing what the environment was like, where there could be scope for some stuff. And again, looking at my personal philosophy as well and, and looking at that transition of players, I think that's kind of where it's going to start going now in terms of looking at how we can bridge that gap on the 16s to 18s, 18s to 21s and 21s to first team in a certain way, whichever that may be. Um, but... I've been doing it now for like five or six months and some of like the back end stuff like you're saying that you have to deal with formulating ideas, research proposals, ethics applications, while still doing all the other stuff that you do working in a full-time club. It can be quite challenging. Like, you know, you speak to quite a lot of people um, before and like Liam Anderson, James Malone, people that have actually done the process before. Um, and you you hear them and it's like you know it's going to be quite challenging you're not going to really have that much time it's going to go very fast and you think again naively oh well I was doing marine I was doing MSC I was doing all this like I can oh, that'll be easy and then you actually get into it and you think wow a PhD is just a completely different ball game to an MSC or anything like that <laughs> you know it's, but, it's almost like being self-employed in a yeah. way where every now and then someone pops up and goes so what's the progress yeah. and yeah like it was it was a weird transition for me because i've been used to being like in roles where the people go do this and do that yeah. and what have you whereas this i i remember turning up here and the first few weeks i was like i genuinely don't know what to do like i i just 
would turn up to meetings. And because a lot of my lab group, they're all uh, like biochem backgrounds. So yeah. that's something that I'm having to improve on now is sort of my wet lab skills. So, you know, processing of muscle samples and doing things like looking at fiber typing, how's that going to change as a result of hormones and what have you. Um, and it was, it was a, like a real sort of hit home. I was like, this, this is going to be hard because people were talking to me. I was like, yep. I was like, I don't know clue what you're saying. No yeah. idea what you're saying. And I don't know. A PhD, I feel like it's so different for me because I'm that I'm that's all I do. Whereas for you, you're like working a full time job and doing it. Yeah. But you still it's still classed as a full time PhD, which is just ridiculously insane. Yeah, and to be fair, like the first, like I was saying to you before I got on it, initially it was like when I was waiting for everything to go through and waiting for enrollment and stuff like that. I was like, oh, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? So for the first like month or two, I was like, not really much to do it because I was just like trying to come up with a plan and idea. And then as soon as I like started resembling a plan and an idea and started having regular meetings with Barry and it was like, okay, that's good. That's good. Maybe change this, maybe change this. This doesn't flow as much. Um, and you start getting into it a lot more. Like it goes from like really pet, like really slow plodding walking pace to like a full hundred meter sprint and then slow down it's like it's like fart like <laughs> you're basically doing a little walk is, yeah. and then you're sprinting and then you're doing a little jog and then you, you might slow down and walk again so it's getting there like we're at the point of research proposal now um i've just submitted my second draft this week so we'll see how that goes down in our next meeting but um yeah it's getting there i think i'm i'm very like a lot of people say don't do it unless you're passionate about the project you're doing as well, which, you know, is the hard part of picking a project because you don't want to pick a project, not really commit to it when then you're stuck in it for the next four years whilst doing a, a role at the club. Um, and you also want to make it worthwhile. So you want to make sure it's something that's going to impact the club on a positive effect as well. And I think in terms of the transition stuff, like from a personal philosophy background, seeing lads you know, uh, at different clubs getting injured because of whatever reason or seeing lads go through a lot of growth-related troubles or load-related troubles or seeing lads miss out on a contract because they weren't prepared enough for that level. You know, it's massive. And within Liverpool, you've got an absolute amazing environment to implement all this stuff. So we'll see what happens. Like I said, we're still in the early stages, so it'll be exciting to see what happens from here. Mm. So, obviously, the career you've had so far, you've had a fair few successes being able to build yourself up from non-league all the way up to a Premier League club. But what's the one failure that stood out throughout that that career that you've had so far? Failure. Um, wow. Put you on the spot, mate. I know. <laughs> To be fair, if I, if I was going to go back and say one like failure that's had the biggest impact to what's got me to here now, I could be really cliche and go back to saying failing first year, but I don't really. I think either way, I would have kind of got my ass into gear in second year of uni. Whereas not getting a load of jobs straight out of uni and making me realise, fuck me, there's a lot more I need to do to get these jobs was probably the main one because like like I said last week when I did that present I think it was a few weeks ago I did that presentation and I basically said to the group 
yeah, who in here thinks that they're pretty much going to get a job straight out of finishing their masters? And you know, you, everyone's going to be like, mm -hmm, I should put my hand up, but you know, I don't really want to put my hand up. Is anyone else in the group going to put the hand up and stuff? I just, I had my hand like this. I was like, I was bang on thinking I was ready for a job. I was pretty much thinking, right, straight into a job. Here we go. This is where the journey starts. And I clicked the button, and about 25 different club badges popped up on the screen I was like these are all the ones I applied for I didn't get any of them like most of these didn't get back to me the ones who did said there was no, pretty much no chance there was even like plus or minus 10 that I probably could have added on there but the slide wasn't big enough for them but I think going through that journey of applying for a job not getting it okay what can I do better applying for a job not getting it what can I do better I think that really gave me the determination to go away and really improve myself. Like, if I didn't have that Liverpool interview to say I needed more experience with younger age groups, I probably would never have gone to Swindon. Um, like, and stuff like that. I think that's massive because I'd come back from the interview, speak to my missus and be like, somehow not got it again. She was like, well, there's obviously a reason you're not getting the jobs. They're not just not picking you, are they? And I was like, oh, that's a fucking great point, actually, yeah. <laughs> Like, fair enough. And then from there, you just go away and you improve yourself, don't you? So I, that would probably be it. Like, all them interviews that I didn't get put me in good stead for the ones that I eventually got, whether it be Swindon or Liverpool. Yeah, so looking back at, you know, your time from first year of uni to now, what would you advise to people who are in that first year of uni? You know, they're not taking it too seriously, um, but they're thinking, like, maybe I want to get into high-performance sport. Um, do it for you is the main thing like a lot of the time I see a lot of people reach out um, and get in touch with either me or other people I know and they do it because they say they need to do it as part of a placement like a lot of people aren't going to take you on just because you need to fulfil a placement like you want to do it because you want to do it like you want to go out there and put the time in because ultimately nowadays I think especially with interns and stuff I don't want to say it like this, but they're a lot more entitled and think, oh, well, I'm not getting paid to be here, so like, I'll just do what I want. Well, you're just going to get binned off and someone else is going to come in. Like, You want to do it because, again, you want to treat it like a job. You want to understand the environment. You want to get that experience. But if that's not for you, go do that in another form you know like like for you for example like go be a research assistant and get involved in projects or you know if it's something else go get some teaching experience somewhere you know go outside of the conforms of your university program to then go away put that applied experience wherever it may be whether it's as a research assistant or a practitioner in sport or a teaching assistant somewhere off your own back so you've got that bank of experience to then reflect upon going forwards um, because it's tough like being an intern's tough like even at Northwich for you you're probably thinking I could probably not have to do this but then what I'm getting out of this is worth it like I went through it loads of times at Marine like I was thinking getting paid barely anything here and that, like the manager Alan Morgan would turn around to me and basically go like what the fuck are you complaining about like you're working in sport you're at Tramir you're at Marine like you're in sport like you get to do this as a job and I think that's stuck with me ever since like I'll go into Liverpool and the last like why is he always so like happy and like obviously it's because I get to do it as a job every day like, I get paid to go into Liverpool Football Club and do S&C with the academy 
and get to then go away and do research and be like, I actually enjoy what I'm doing. But that doesn't come if you don't already get exposed to it earlier down the line. Yeah, mate, it's, it's quality with what you said there. Um, and then one more question that I do have um, based on, you know, your career and everything like that. So you've now taken yourself down sort of a research route and also with a hybrid in high performance sports. So what what sort of what does sort of the future hold for you? Do you want to carry on in high performance sport or do you want to sort of edge towards the research side of it? I actually had this question in my interview when I went to the Liverpool role and it was like again, when I finished my masters I put like a three year plan in place and like I didn't get it to where I thought I'd get it and then I got the role that I never thought I'd get so I was like oh okay so then I rejigged my plan so for me ideally want to finish the PhD in the next four years like obviously that's a massive ask whilst working at a club and stuff but I want to kind of finish it by the time I'm like 27 28 still working high high performance sport I think long term get to a point where I'm like head of a department at a very like elite club um, for the academy side or first team side um, I, I don't see myself getting out of sport anytime soon but I think like you're saying in terms of that research element will always be there so whilst I'm working in sport I always want to keep looking at what we can do better to improve the the, the field what can we actually implement more in practice because football especially compared to other sports is miles behind in terms of you know testing uh, monitoring actual performance side of gym programs, pitch performance. So what can we do there to actually get the sport up more up to speed? Because you look at football, for example, and how it's progressed in the last 10 years is absolutely crazy. But you think, give it another 10, where's it going to be? You know, how much more physical performance can we get out of these players? Because it's already gone sky high. Okay, what's next? So how can I help manage that? Um, and then I think long term, going back to literally the beginning when I thought I was going to be a PE teacher, probably get into lecturing at some point and then mentoring again, mentor the next lot of applied practitioners that are going to come through and see what I can do. But that's like a good 15, 20 years away. I still want to enjoy yeah. myself in sport for that time. Mate, it's quality. Um, and then one last question that I have for you is the same as they ask everyone else who comes on, is how would you like to be remembered? Remembered. Um, hard working, but doesn't always take himself too seriously. Love it, mate. Um, I'll put all your links and all that in the description below, because you still do some online coaching as well, right? Yeah, a, a little bit, yeah. Ba basically, I... Uh, as soon as I started working full-time in sport and doing all that stuff, it tapered off. But, yeah, I still do a little bit of performance one-to-one -one stuff. So, yeah, appreciate that, mate. Yeah, I'll put that in the links in the description. Um, but, yeah, really appreciate you coming on. Love this one. Thanks for having me. It's good to catch up. It's been a while since you moving to Oz, so uh, it's been nice. I know. Bloody needed it, haven't <laughs> Hope you enjoyed that episode with Carl Taylor. It was a really good one for me. I've been mates with him for a few years. You know, went to uni with him, um, did an internship with him at uni and stuff. So, yeah, really great guy and gave a really good insight into what it's like to work in uh, in and behind the scenes of the football system and what it's like at each and every level. Because you know, working from non-league to Premier League club, there's a massive difference in terms of infrastructure and funding. So. 
Really great, great insight from him. Um, you can find his links down in the description. Obviously, he said that he's doing a little bit of coaching here and there. So if you're looking for a coach for your training, then look for Kyle. He'll help you out. Thank you very much for listening. And please remember to like, subscribe, and share with anyone who may be interested.